Welcome to the Lost Boys to Found Fathers podcast. I'm Gabe O'Sullivan, and joining me is my co-host, Will Haycox. We are men who have suffered the loss of a child, and through this production, we desire to offer encouragement, strength, and hope to our fellow brothers who have traveled the same journey. On today's podcast, we have uh, a very distinguished guest, Mr. Steve Grant. He is the author of a book, Don't Forget Me, A Lifeline of Hope for Those Touched by Substance Abuse and Addiction. Uh, this book is actually been mentioned uh, on the wall by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he has a foundation called Chris and Kelly's Hope. Uh, he has a website, don'tforgetmebook.com and chriskellyhope.org. Uh, Mr. Grant has experienced a similar situation, but different than Will and I, and we're so thankful to have him here, and we really appreciate it. So with that, I'm going to throw it over to Will and allow him to introduce our guest and uh, get started with the questions. Hey, guys. Thank you for that introduction, Gabe. Yeah, we uh, we kind of talked about some of our hopes for this podcast, where we wanted to go, and how we wanted to offer encouragement to all the guys out there that are listening to this. And uh, one of our things that we really wanted to do is get some other men in here and do an interview and, and just get to know them and their story and hopefully offer some more encouragement from different perspectives for, for people who have gone through the loss of a child in different ways that we have. And so uh, I got connected to Mr. Grant and uh, we've been discussing for a month or so trying to get time to get in here and, and do an interview and, and learn about his sons. And we finally gotten here to this point, so we're excited to have him on and, and we hope this is the first of many interviews that we get to have with men and just offer you some encouragement and just to know that you're not alone in your loss and that there, there are other guys out there who have lost a child and are, are learning to hope, to hope in the Lord through that loss. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce you, Mr. Grant, and get you on here. Uh, we talked about your name, Steve Grant, and you are currently living in, in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity of being here today. It means a, a great deal to me, more than you guys know. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm Steve Grant. I'm, I'm, I live in Greenville, South Carolina, born in Paranus, New Jersey, which is right outside of New York City. That's where I grew up. Um, and loved growing up there and um, um, got a small baseball scholarship to Furman and came down here to play baseball and uh, never went back. So uh, I've been in the financial services business for 40 years here uh, in Greenville and uh, um, you know, the particulars about this conversation is I, I did lose two sons to accidental drug overdoses, uh, one in 2005 and one in 2010. Um, and I, I always like to tell people, we do a lot of these and say that my kids were ahead of their time. Uh, that uh, today it's a big deal, but in 2005 I had no idea, uh, any, I, I, had no, I had no knowledge of anyone that died of a drug overdose. And, and actually in 2010, the only one I knew was his brother. So, uh, and the, the unique thing about my situation is um, they both died in very different ways. One was addicted to drugs and alcohol at an early age, 14, and uh, spent the next eight years in and out of drug rehabs, five rehabs, boarding schools, one of those situations that when a lot of parents call me today, uh, they always seem to talk about my son Christopher. Not that I should talk about him, but then when they talk about their son, they're talking about him. And mm -hmm. and it's um, it's not humorous, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of, wow, you know, I know where this story's going. But it is it is your story, it's unique to you, but the behavior and the uh, is very similar. On the other hand, my other son was at College of Charleston, 
uh, had signed a record deal with a with a, a music company, and he um, someone introduced him to heroin of all things, uh, right from the start. And eight months later, he died. So it was very it was a very different path to the same result, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, I, uh, after that, um, you know. The, the Lord was always in my life. Uh, I, I, I always tell some people this funny story about meeting my closest friend, a guy named John Lady, who's an investment guy in Greenville. And he's got four kids, Clemps, Clemson. All his kids went to Clemson. Uh, his wife went to Clemson. So it's, uh, so, but I met him one day and I interviewed him for a job in Greenville one morning, and uh, one Saturday morning. And uh, I saw that big, huge Bible on the front seat of his car, and I go, whew, well, okay, who is this dude Let's talk to this man? <laughs> right. You know, and he comes in, and, you know, and we kind of always laugh about this day. And we're, we're talking, and he's talking to me, and he ended up came and worked with us. But I could tell that he was very, he was very devoted to the Lord. And, and I'd say I was devoted to the Lord, too, but not, in the, not the way he was devoted to the Lord. Mm. And uh, so after about a month or so at work, our office manager was a devout Christian woman. Yeah. Uh, her name was Sandra. And uh, John goes to Sandra. Hey, is, is Steve Christian? Like that. And she said, Steve's the most Christian, non-Christian I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know, really know how to take that when I heard that, how she <laughs> right. said that. But I soon learned after that from John, subtly over time, what that really meant. Mm. And uh, so he was very instrumental in, in, in my walk with the Lord today and understand that the true walk and what that means and uh so so it was it's, it's been a very good very good friendship um he i've caught him many times uh, on the phone when obviously he's talking about me with somebody and and i'll well before i get in to see him he'll say you know steve's catholic <laughs> you know you know steve's catholic you know and i'm like john what do you, why do you sound why do you make this sound like you know steve's got cancer you know, you know, you know steve's sick he's terminal you know um just because i'm catholic but we so we always kid about those things uh the the funny thing about it, the whole thing is i'm now married to, uh, my, my uh second wife Kathy is is a uh, Church of God pastor's daughter, mm. uh, oh, wow. and uh, who's never been married, never had children, and it's my age, and uh, her sister's never been married, never had children, mm. uh, two very beautiful girls, and you wonder why until you meet their dad, and <laughs> so, so we have this Catholic and this uh, this, but we get along great. We That's get along awesome. Great. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so you mentioned just a little bit there about your sons um, and what they went through. Would you tell us a little more about, you know, what was their story like? You know, you mentioned Christopher uh, came addicted at 14, was in and out of boarding schools. Um, I know there'll be some people out there that <clears throat> are maybe going through, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe going through that journey now with their children or mm -hmm. have gone through it and have lost a child. Um, what, what was that like as a father to to see them going through that and to to know, you know, what was best for them and to know what you wanted for them, but you couldn't make the decisions for them. Would you talk a little bit about how you dealt with that? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. Uh, I was I was very close with both my sons. So, uh, and they were honest with me to a certain point. And that point always got a little further out as they got older. Which I think is a natural thing for a father and a son. You know, you don't you don't look to hear everything that goes on, mm -hmm. um, and and um, 
and uh, I, I underestimated how close actually the two of them were, and and uh, but but we were very we were very close, and you know you 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 have a show here that talks about fathers and the relationship with their children. Uh, in my world, the people that I talk to, unfortunately, it's rarely ever the father that has the relationship with the children who have trouble with drugs and alcohol. Uh, it's normally their mother. It's no, it's normally the female in their life. Uh, mother person. So it's funny. I go to these meetings and these. Uh, I have a not-for-profit and I'm on a not-for-profit board called the Family Effect in Greenville, and then another not-for-profit. And I'm like the only guy in the group in the room wow. because most most of these things are run by women, and they're and uh, and they they usually the person I usually am speaking to on the phone. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, I get these calls once a week from some woman in some part of the country. <laughs> about their son or their daughter, but it's, but it's the mother. It's never, it's rarely ever the father, uh, which I think is a shame. Uh, and I don't know where, what, where that, what that really means in that, in that process, but phone conversations that I have that are three-way like this um, are typically divided because it rarely are the two people, because that's one of my first questions. Like, are, are you two guys on board on this? Are you guys consistent with this? Which is, every, which is everybody's, uh, challenge in parenting, right? Mm -hmm. You guys are both parents. Yes, it's 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 hard to be on the same page. Uh, okay. But when you talk about, um, you know, there was an article um, actually in the Wall Street Journal last week, and I was I'm on a board at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, where there's a group called CDAP Center for Drug and Alcohol Programs, and it was a very good article they sent me that was in the Wall Street Journal about how do you talk to your children about drugs and alcohol um, you know what are the things and what are the what are the signs mm -hmm. um, because interestingly enough the, the signs are there um, a lot of what my book goes into is the why and how and 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 as I told you uh, as I wrote down in the little questionnaire you guys sent me briefly as a guide that um, that there's there's I don't have any regrets but I would do things different I would do some things differently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, um, like you say, I think that's a tough thing. Uh, my wife and I just have a four-month-old daughter, but you know, inevitably there'll be something, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's some other sin, you know, there'll never be, inevitably be something that we're struggling with, how do we deal with it, how do we discuss that with her, how do we offer her the wisdom that we've gained in our lives and, and try to hope that she listens. Uh, what advice you know you mentioned that you know there are some things that you would do differently what would you do differently if you would if you would offer that and and what would you tell a couple that's either currently going through that or just went through it and they're dealing maybe with that guilt thinking if i'd only done this differently you know if i'd sure. only done that differently how would you tell them to draw closer to each other and to draw closer to the lord in the middle of that yeah and, and you know i remember many nights uh, with my with the boy's mother and my wife at the time we met for 25 years and and i remember many nights lying there praying at night um the wondering where our where our son was this is the older one where where our older son was you know he should have been home but he's not don't know where he is and you remember this is before technology was really good you know it's mm -hmm. it's it, you know because uh, you, you you know you do all the standard things you take away the tel tel yeah. you take away the telephones you take away the cell phones you do all those kind of things 
uh, and then almost you're at a loss though when you do those things. Mm -hmm. So your communication, so we did a lot of praying. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of praying. Uh, and both my sons were, were close to the Lord. They both went to, uh, uh, they both went to uh, faith-based schools, um, supposedly faith-based schools, <laughs> yeah. but, but, uh, they, but they, they, were, they were certainly taught. And uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things about our family is the, the, there's a lot, of, a lot to be said for doing things consistently and unified. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't do a lot of things consistently and unified, so that would be one regret. The only thing we did consistently mm -hmm. and unified was we went to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And my, my older son especially, there were times where, one, he was not physically able to go to church because mm -hmm. of the night before, but he got up and went to church. It was an expectation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I had to drag him out of the kitchen. Yeah, it's, it's time to get up. And he just knew it. And I knew he didn't want to be there. Now, he might have slept through it. Um, you know, but, but he was there and it was just, it was interesting how that was always something that we did right from day one. And, you know, it was, mm -hmm. you know, it's like brushing your teeth in the morning on mm -hmm. Sunday. You knew, you knew where you were going on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so, and I, I kind of, kind of look back at that and, and, uh, fault my wife and I, um, that we weren't in, as consistent in other areas. Um, and I, I think if anything, it, uh, once you have children, those areas become more glaring that mm -hmm. you don't, mm -hmm. that you really aren't on the same page on. Mm -hmm. I went to, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting um, James Dobson about six oh, months wow. ago. It's funny, in my book, the, the editor, the publisher is in Dallas, Texas. The, um, the editor is in New York City. Um, and... Um, all three guys, all three that I dealt with are devout Christians. And they all said, do not make a biblically-based book, Steve. Hmm. So I said, well, that's perfect because I don't know how to make a biblically-based book. <laughs> so, so that's fine with me. But do you know that uh, when it came out, it was the number one seller on Amazon in the drug and alcohol category. Wow. But the, the people that wanted to hear me speak and talk were people of faith. Hmm. Wow. So like the 700 Club. Uh, those, yeah. those types of groups. So I got a chance to talk to James Dobson. Wow. Uh, a little bit, and, and um, he, uh, he he said uh, he he called me and we spoke, and I said, you know, Dr. Dobson, I I um, I I'm really thrilled and that you that you're talking to me, and, and I said, you know, I read all your books that you wrote, mm -hmm. and he said, which ones? I said, you know, I don't remember the names. I remember where they were on my shelf, but I'll tell you one thing: I read them too late. Oh, wow. You know, I read all of them, but I read them too late. Mm -hmm. I said, I also went to a class called Growing Kids God's Way, which is uh, a couple out in California named the Ezos. Yes. And I did that. At, I did it when the kids were 15. Yeah. And everybody else in the group, my <laughs> wife was begging me to do it. I was work, busy working. I, I coached a lot of teams. I started the baseball team at St. Joseph's High School. I built the field there. Mm -hmm. You know, so I had a lot of things going on. I was there coaching all the time, their, their games. So to take out a six weeks, three nights a week for six weeks was, was just not on the, not in, not in the plan. And I, I don't like to join things and not, not be able to fulfill it. So finally, I, my wife really, I acquiesced to her to do that. And I remember leaving there one time and I, I was, it was, and again, these were couples, and I know a lot of them to this day, uh, at their house. These were six, eight couples. We had kids that were 13 and 15. 
they had kids that were either in the, the bun was in the oven still or it was sure. just just born <clears throat> so this is where you really kind of catch this you know this thing and we were sitting there where the kids were already starting to have my my uh, 13 year old 14 15 year olds already having trouble um, so we went there and I remember leaving there one time in the street and, and I was crying and I said to my wife I said honey I apologize to you you know I, she, I, she said what for I said um, that guy Mr. Ezzo said that you know these children our children are a welcome addition to an already existing family and and my family I, I always thought my family started when Christopher was born I didn't think my family started when you and I got married. Wow. And it was a big aha moment, and it yeah. really was. Because, it, uh, and that's just, and uh, that, if I heard anything that made the greatest sense, it was, it was that. Mm -hmm. That your children are a welcome addition to an exi already existing family. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important, like you say, you know, for, <clears throat> for my wife and I, especially, that, that just now have a four-month-old child, and anyone else that's, that's that new to being a parent, I think that's a, it's an easy thing to think, and I, I've caught myself thinking that too, that, you know, my wife and I are together, and we're a couple, but we're not necessarily a family yet, right. and you have that child, and you're like, okay, now I've started a family, I need to wrap my mind around what that means, what does it mean to be a father, what does it mean to lead a family, and I think that's an important thing, and maybe that's a, a cultural thing, maybe that's just a, a lack of development that we do as men, you know, whatever that is, whatever that block is, I think that's an important point that you mentioned there that you need to start reframing your thought process about a marriage as setting that foundation for what your children will grow up in, in the future. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember physically being in the driveway and someone delivering diapers or something to our house in Greenville. And I'm sitting here thinking that I, I, I almost, I think I must have even said, I said, you know, honey, we've committed an unselfish act and now we have to put make Christopher our priority, which is which is which was nonsense at the end, at the end of the day. You know, yeah, we, yeah, we want to keep him comforted, and we want to make sure he has everything he needs to grow up with, you know, and grow up safely. But uh, I, I was basically saying, here's the pecking order now: Christopher, you, and me. You know, or some variation, but definitely right. Christopher was at the front of that, yeah, of the pack. Instead, it should have been my wife, mm -hmm. myself, and then this, our son. Mm -hmm. But it, it just didn't start. So that would be my regret. Mm -hmm. You know, we and we talk about grief and things like that. And you guys have gone through your forms of grief. Um, I think grief many times is built on guilt, uh, mm -hmm. and 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 the grief of my kids. I, I I know I grieved, but I also knew that I did everything I could for them. While they were while they were alive and while they were struggling and try to help them get through all this, mm -hmm. uh, so that part of it, um, that part of it, I, I think that's why you, you, you maybe you don't see a lot of men in in, in where I'm doing who talking because uh, they may come back and they feel like you know boy I should have done this or I should have done that or mm -hmm. I should have been more supportive I should have taken that problem more seriously than I did mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and that openness, you know, because that's, you know, the title of this podcast is Lost Boys and Found Fathers. You know, what you have just given us as as young fathers is like some amazing nuggets, you know, of wisdom of this is how you be a father, right? This is how you move from boyhood, which most of us are in for the majority of our lives, right? right? But trying to become better men. And one way we can do that is just like you said, we put God first, our wife second, our kids third. 
and in that order and that and that that is what establishes that healthy family you know just like yeah. you said and it doesn't mean that we're going to be immune from our kids unfortunately getting hooked in with the wrong crowd and trying something that their body really loves and they can't give up you know i mean I, mm-hmm. as we talked before i've kind of seen that from a brotherly perspective with my younger brother and knowing you know that man my parents like you they were doing what they knew how to do to the best of their ability to try to help him um and in the end you know he still still you know takes his life um due to drugs but yeah but again the things that you have said right there are just so amazing and and such i hope these you know our listeners are hearing what you're saying that the priority is lord wife kids and that's a good basis for starting that family and then hoping that out of that you know maybe maybe some things turn out differently you know we don't know but maybe they do yeah and you don't know because you can only you can only protect them from, from so much yeah. uh this uh, the, the devil's got a big old big old uh suitcase he's walking around with and he's mm. he's he's out there at every turn and and just when you think you might have something fixed or something solved uh it's recreated uh, in yeah. some other fashion and and uh children growing up today is is very difficult and you know you have you've had some suicide in your family uh, i have not fortunately uh, had any suicide in my family i uh, have had plenty of death uh, but but uh, that's I, I i worked i was the chairman of the mental health association in greenville as a volunteer and i won a couple of national awards with uh, my company northwestern mutual um national awards from when i work with the mentally ill and um it it, it, it it to this day you know it, it's uh i got i can't imagine where someone would have to be in their mind in their place to take their life mm-hmm. uh and I, that makes me so sad uh that that uh i did this i started the suicide crisis hotline in greenville oh, wow. 30 years ago where someone pick up the phone and i I did the training, and I did the training because I wanted to uh, actually study for some advanced designations in my field, and I thought I would do that in the evenings. So I went through the training to answer the phone, and it's typically when someone calls in their life, they're ready to take their life, or they're certainly contemplating, they want to talk to somebody. Uh, so so they called this, this assist line or helpline, and the job was to try to figure out where they were without letting them know where you were, okay? And uh, so you got all the language and you heard all the language. Well, I did this. I was on the phone with this girl for two hours the first night I was there. And wow. I, put, I put down the phone, didn't know what happened to her. Went home and uh, my wife said, how'd it go? I said, I'm not doing it again. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I said, I, I, said, uh, I, I, I won't sleep tonight. I'm not sure if I'll sleep another couple of nights wondering whatever happened to that poor girl. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just to get to that point, it's, 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 uh, it's a very desperate thing. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, <clears throat> you mentioned you know the hopelessness that you have to be in, and that you have to really believe to be at that point where you're willing and, and ready to take your life. And you know, I think that's something that we've mentioned here a few times. But you know, what would you tell us what your relationship with God was like when you you lost your sons, and how was that helpful? How did that draw you closer to Him? And give you hope for the future rather than leading you down a path of despair mm-hmm. that you know may or may not lead to that mindset where you think the only way out is to, to kill yourself 
yeah, yeah. I, and I've had friends that have said to me, Steve, I don't understand how you're still with us. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing's to lose one child, but lose another child, you know, and you're only two children. And, yeah. and you know, I, I never thought about once worrying about my uh, getting to that point where uh, life's not worth living. Um, I guess that's just my the, how I'm how how I'm made up of, but I, I, obviously um, the shock of it. Now my first son, we had done so much for him that the, the death was inevitable. So literally the day I found him in his bedroom dead, uh, yes I was stunned, but I was I, w I was it was an expectation. It was just it was just was an expectation, and not that we wanted it to happen, but. We certainly didn't, but it was just an expert. So I think we were somewhat prepared. Mm. My second son, who died of a heroin overdose, um, we didn't know really the extent of the whole situation, but we were shocked that he died. He died with one needle mark in his body, mm. which meant he was trying to stop. Mm. But, you know, you go back to typically when you stop and you go start again, you go back to where you left off. <coughs> you don't mm -hmm. go back starting again. Yes. And today, with fentanyl and things like that, mm. You just don't, you know, people talk about you gotta let your children sink to the bottom or let your husband or wife sink to the bottom. Well, the bottom's pretty, you don't know where the bottom is. The bottom can be pretty close mm -hmm. yeah. these days. So that, that rule's kind of very, that kind of, I have a, that's a big challenge when I talk to parents about, mm. you know, letting them sink to the bottom, you know, because, uh, and I don't really talk about it too much because the bottom's pretty, you know, bottom's pretty close mm. uh, these days. But, but, um, I never waned in my in my uh, love of the Lord. I never blamed the Lord for this. Why why this happened to me, Lord? Why why me? My mother did. My father did. They, and and uh, I always maintain, even when I speak and when I, you read the book, that um, that that I know I'm going to see my children again. Yeah. Uh, I'm very convinced of that. I'm very convinced of that. In fact, you know, two things that were really interesting that happened to me. Um, had an uh, Eastern Indian physician client in Greenville, and he was sort of a weird. He was a weird guy. <laughs> <coughs> His wife worked as a as a physician here in town, also. And <coughs> although he was licensed, he never practiced, and I never really understood why. But I was in the parking lot of one of the strip centers down in Greenville, off of Haywood Road, and he stopped me, and he he knew that my second son had passed away, and he started quoting these Bible verses to me. <coughs> And of course, I didn't really understand any of it um, till later. Uh, but basically, he said, uh, and you guys might know him. Basically, it means that I was sort of picked um, that this was God's plan, and I and I had already known that this was God's plan. Now you question the plan, certainly, right. uh, but it is the plan, and that's why I never thought that that it was the plan. And I know I'm going to see my children again. But he went even further to say that. That, um, that Steve, you were chosen because you were going to do something about this. Mm. You know, uh, so many people either say they're going to, but they never do, and a lot of people just never ever will. Like my ex-wife, for instance, she will never do what I've done uh, for whatever reason. That's that's hers, and I respect that. But my kids knew, even when I was going through my interventions with them, that that they, one of the promises that I had to sometimes make to them was. Do I, do I, um, uh, the negotiation was like, hey, Dad, I know you know the liquor store owner that I'm buying liquor from on Church Street. He's already told me that you're, uh, that if you tell your dad that I'm going to lose my family and I'm going to lose my business. 
Now, you tell that enough to a 13-year-old boy, hmm. he's going to believe you. You know, they, they conditioned them, hmm. you know. So when I did my rudimentary intervention with him, he said, Dad, you got to promise me one thing if I go to rehab. You're not going to put that liquor store owner out of business. Wow. He's got a wife. He's got kids. You know, I mean, this is uh, this is how they do it. And I'm going, okay. I said, well, I promise I won't. I ended up doing that, but it was far later on down the road. But I, but at the end of time, you know, you, you, you say those things and, and you do those things. Um, and then, and then I guess you go fast forward. So Christopher dies in 2005. We kind of rock along. 2010 comes along. I have some issues in between. You read the book. I, I end up checking myself into a rehab facility for a little while because I was uh, medicating through alcohol. And um, I spent a night in jail one night um, on the anniversary of my first son's death because uh, I got pulled over. And fortunately, I just got a reckless driving, not a DUI. But regardless, it was the way I was the way I was managing this, this the way I was handling this this. My mom, we lost my sister growing up when I was a freshman at firm and my sister died. And my mother never drank and then all of a sudden she started drinking. Mm -hmm. And she was medicating herself and it's funny how the kind of the, the, <laughs> the fruit rolls doesn't roll far from the tree mm -hmm. and here I was doing the same exact thing, uh, losing, losing my first son. Uh, but, but I got over that and then uh, unfortunately my second son passed away. And it was December of 2010. Well, in January 2011, I had to be at a sales meeting. And it was two guys from St. Louis who, if you go on the Internet today, you don't have to go very far to find John O'Leary and Ben Newman. They're international speakers. Well, in 2010, they were not international speakers. They were fledgling guys trying to make it to be international speakers. And they were in the Chamber of Commerce in Greenville, South Carolina. Wow. And there were about 50 people, and I knew some of the people, but nobody really knew my situation. Here was two weeks after Kelly died, and the guy in my office said, Steve, I need a little gray hair. Will you please go? And I said, boy, John, I'll tell you, I really don't want to go. And, and the reason I said was that I was out here, I was 30-some odd years in the financial service business. Not that I knew everything, but I knew I knew the group, and I said, you know, I'm really not, you know, I don't know what it's gonna, how it's going to benefit me. But I said, I'll be a good soldier, I'll go. So, and this is how God works in your life. So, so I went, you know, reluctantly, not kicking and screaming, but reluctantly. Right. And the two guys got up there because I think they're going to talk to me how about how I'm going to be a better salesperson, better business person. Better business. They they start by saying the G word, which you don't hear too much mm -hmm. in these in an open forum today, unfortunately. Um, and and I'm going, hmm, that's interesting. And then they said, we're not here to help you be better business people. We're here for a three day boot camp. Um, to find to help you crystallize what it's going to be when you leave the, what your legacy is going to be when you leave this life. Wow. And then of course, whoa, wait a second, what's this all about now? You know, this is a little different. <laughs> I missed the storyline here somehow. <laughs> right. So I was pr pretty perked up. And so they go around the room in the first 15, 20 minutes of this thing and said, look, we want to hear what your legacy is now. And a lot of people your age, you know, you're young, you don't, might not know what your legacy in life is, right? But so a lot of people in their 20s don't know what their legacy in their life is going to be. I, I wasn't sure, even, uh, at that point. And after Christopher died, I'm a very helpful guy. You know, I'm going to tell you, that knows me, Stacey will tell you, I'm the, I take, give someone a shirt off my back, um, you know, because that, it really doesn't mean that much to me. Um, so so um, we all had said... They start going around the room and they said, well, tell us today what you think your legacy in life is going to be. 
and after three days it may change you know so they go around the room and i'm sort of sitting at you know i'm at the top of the the i'm at the top of the uh, thing you guys are two speakers i'm all at the top just looking at you they get to me and i stand up and i go i don't know what happened here um, but I, I tell people every day that it, that this this is God's voice, not mine. <laughs> but I said that I'm going to be the person known to um, to help young uh, to help adolescents and young adults who struggle with addiction, um, substance abuse, and and accidental overdoses and mental illness. And the guy said, "Why would you do that?" And I then I told him why. And I lost my two kids. Well, the, the, I had drawn the line in the sand at that point. And, but I was had no intention, zero intention, uh, Gabe and Will, when I walked in there to say wow. that, to yeah. say that. Right. zero. Yeah. And that's how this, that's how eventually this foundation got started. And you know, we've we've raised uh, a little bit, a little bit south of a million dollars in seven years, and a good out most of it. Yeah. Um, you know, my checking account stays at about a thousand dollars. And mm-hmm. yesterday, some, yesterday, a lady on Myrtle Beach who has a facility for young women. It has to be. It has to be not for profit. It has mm-hmm. to be, um, um, and and uh, it has to be vetted. And uh, I said, look, I got a thousand dollars, and and uh, and she said it was. Well, it's twelve. I said, I know it's twelve hundred. I said, I'll just write you a check for two hundred out of my pocket, and I'll give you a thousand that I got left in the foundation's mm-hmm. account, because mm-hmm. uh, money money does come in. Money yeah. comes in almost daily uh, now. So yes. uh, that's that's kind of what we do. Man, that's yeah. amazing. And like you said, the fact that I love that you said I, that line in the sand was drawn, and it wasn't even yeah. drawn by you. <laughs> yeah. Because, like you said, you didn't go to that thing with an intention N- of, uh, of doing that. Nothing. You nothing. Know? And that and that goes right it back wasn't to what close. you it's, yeah it said about your physician friend that yeah. just randomly catches you in the parking lot and starts quoting his scripture about how you've been you know yeah predestined and God chose you and He's got a plan for you and and again sometimes obviously that plan is hard right but we know that it's it's for good right it's for his good it's it's for the good of millions of others that your life has impacted and your boys life lives have impacted you know man what thank you for being like obedient to that because you could have just been like no well a lot of people are Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are and and that's okay Mm -hmm. and that and, and that's okay um i can't imagine uh, this this 2010. I was what else? I I was 53 at the time, maybe somewhere around there. Let's just say I had another 40 years to live, God willing. I would have hated to live the next 40 years miserable. Yes. Now, now, am I miserable sometimes? Sure, right. sure. I mean, every day I drive down 385 from my my my, my new wife's home in, on Woodruff Road, and I passed the area where my son flipped his car. You know, before they put all those trees in in the, in the center of the, on 385 going to the downtown. Uh, you know, he, he drove home in the rain one time away from ch- uh, fleeing somebody, yeah. flipped his car. Could have got, could have got, died that day, yeah. but he didn't. Now, I remember that. And I go past Christ Church's uh, playground uh, where I used to toot the horn when he was about this big. Yeah. He was sitting there. Thinking. So, you know, every day I see something that reminds me of my kids. Yeah. And, and I guess I could go one way or the other. Unfortunately, I, you know, I kind of say, okay, well, you know, yeah. um, that was the plan was, and they were here for the time they were supposed to be here. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned that that your friend, the doctor friend, that that had some verses, and just encourage you there that the Lord chose you, you know, and, and that allowed you to go through what you did with your sons 
for good. And uh, we just finished, a, what, gave a five, six-part series on why would God allow my child to die? And we explored you know, the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God and, and you know, hope and, and what we believe is the purpose for suffering. And we just kept coming back to Romans 5, 1 through 5. And that says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces <clears throat> excuse me, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we just kept going back to, if we follow the chain there, that we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces hope. And I think suffering doesn't produce hope in everyone. Uh, certainly mm -hmm. suffering is a is a horrible thing to go through, something we would never ask for or, or seek out. But if you suffer and you do that without the Lord, it probably does produce, like we had talked about, you know, that sense of despair. And, you know, if it's something that you lost a child or you lost a spouse, you feel like, you know, how can I keep going? What's the point? You know, what's what's the meaning for life? But if, if you trust the Lord and you lean into Him in your suffering, that, like it talks about, suffering produces endurance, and that endurance comes from the strength of the Holy Spirit. And endurance produces character, and that character comes from the way that the Holy Spirit renews your heart, renews your mind, and then that character produces hope, and that's hope in the Lord and hope in what you talked about, you know, seeing your sons again one day, and I felt the same way when I lost our son, when my wife and I lost her son, Gabriel, I had that sense of loss, and, you know, all that I dreamed for him here, and the relationship we were going to have, and all the things that I hoped would happen, but I knew it wasn't the end, that today, tomorrow, 50 years from now, whenever I die, I know where he is, and I'll go to see him, and so... I think that's an important thing that you don't have if you're not a Christian that I, I can't imagine, Gabe and I have talked about this, going through grief and not having that hope because it is, you know, if you believe as some friends of mine do, when you die, it all goes black and that's the end. Like, where is the hope in that? You've, you've lost someone and they're gone and you'll never get them back, you'll never see them again. And so I think that's something that we've gone back and forth on and, and talked about several times in just the most recent episodes we've done and you've already touched on that like having that chance to trust the Lord through the hardest time in your life really changes you and like you've obviously done you've allowed the Lord to use you to change your heart to change maybe in small ways maybe in big ways your character so that the loss of your child is something that can be used for good. And you, know, you mentioned how much money you've raised and the different nonprofits that you have been able to help. And you may never know, maybe you do know, but you may never know the people whose lives you've impacted and by extension, your children have impacted. And you know, like I say, you know, we'll never know. There could be two people whose lives have been saved. There could be a hundred people, a thousand people whose lives have been changed or saved through the loss of your children. And I think that's something that, you know, everyone, like you mentioned, who goes through the loss of a child may not be moved or may not have the the strength or the, the 
headspace to start a nonprofit and to do what you've done, but even in a small way, you know, this at this point we've done 12 episodes of this podcast, so we're certainly not on the scale that you're on, and we may have someone else who's listening to this who they haven't talked to anyone about their grief because they're so fresh in it, but I think that's something that we should try to keep in mind is your child's loss isn't for nothing. It's something that if you trust the Lord and you allow Him to speak to you and use you like you did at that meeting, it's not this mm-hmm. horrible thing that's the end of something. It can be the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. And it's something beautiful that the Lord will use your child's life to help someone else. And that's that's pretty amazing, you know, yeah. what you've been able to do so far with well, the Lord's help. I do occasionally get letters. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the ones I get are always very, very nice. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know most of the people I help. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually fairly anonymous to me. They're vetted. Uh, but they do eventually take the time, some of mm-hmm. them, to, to write a note and say, I changed your life. And mm-hmm. and I got one particularly the other day from someone that just said, you know, because the, the folks that we, when I started Kristen Kelly's Hope, one of the things I made clear of is I remember... I spent a few hundred thousand dollars on rehabs on my son, mm-hmm. and then they had boarding schools which aren't cheap. So, unfortunately, rehab facilities programs have a poor batting average. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the age of first use is a very big indicator of mm-hmm. of long terms long term uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, length of time in and treatment is a very big indicator of future chances of sobriety. Hmm. So, so what, what we try to do is, there's organizations like Beach House Recovery in Sunset Beach, with a Christian-based nonprofit, um, a Christian-based group in Sumter, Any Length Recovery. Uh, these kind of groups that I didn't really not realize existed. Mm-hmm. You know, me, I'm looking at the Karen Foundation. I'm looking at Betty Ford. I'm looking at here. I'm looking at, you know, these places that I read about. And I, mm-hmm. and I really was an island unto myself. The other thing I always tell parents is, is there's a lot of information out there. And there's a whole lot of information now because, it, you know, once a week someone dies of a drug overdose, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So there's, you hear about places where you can go, send your kids. I'm, immediately when someone calls me, I'll, I'll first of all say, look, I'm so sorry to hear about this. I, I truly am, and I'm gonna pray for you. But but I do want you to know that I'm a father, you know, parent. And mm-hmm. I'm not an addictionologist. And I said, mm-hmm. so things have changed since my both. You know, it's been 15 years since my second son died. So I said, re- re- rehabilitation facilities changed, things like that. I said, now I do know places, um, because in the beginning I said I'm not gonna use anybody's money that I raised to support individuals alone. Mm-hmm. Until someone came to me, uh, a very nice man at Myrtle Beach, he was head of the uh, department, of, it's funny how all these things tie together, but um, it was a father of a girl who has just gotten into medical school at Yale, um, but her, 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 fa- her, she and my second son Kelly went to St. Joseph's High School together, wow. but her parents were divorced and her father was in, was in Myrtle Beach, so I never really knew him. Mm. but. When Nikki Haley, the, the long story short about this whole thing, and I was starting my foundation and everything and raising money, Nikki, when 2008 came along and the economy went in the toilet, a lot of what Nikki Haley cuts did was it cut a lot of, uh, it cut a lot of social service budgets. And one of them, the mental health department, had a, had a voucher that said, a lot of people walk into the mental health departments these days, and they still do, and they say, 
I'm mentally ill. Well, no, you're not really mentally ill, but you are. You're, you're addicted to drugs. You know, you're an alcoholic is what, what, what it is. But we can still help you. Mm-hmm. And they used to give my voucher to go to an any length recovery or, a, a, you know, some kind of Christian-based uh, facility. Um, so that voucher went away. So when that voucher went away, this gentleman started calling me. And I initially said, you know, I, my, 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 my thing, my mission was not to accept, not to help people individually. But then I started thinking about, well, I'm not really going to let $1,000 be the difference between someone trying again. Because these folks, and normally they're in their early 20s to mid-20s, um, they've ticked off all their relatives, ticked off all their friends. They're scratching plastic. They don't have jobs, you know. They're going to have to start thinking about stealing to surviving. Um, they've been to rehab four, five, six times, haven't worked. And, you know, and, and these are the guys that are really sunk to the bottom. And unfortunately, that's when you sit at the bottom. Sometimes people say, you know, the only alternative I have here is to pray, pray my way out of this thing. Yeah. And um, so, so I, I will be, I'm more than happy then to give them $1,000 or $1,200 mm-hmm. they need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, at a Beach House Recovery, I've got four guys there now that have got, been there. One's been there for 14 months, mm-hmm. and he's running the joint and loves it. Mm-hmm. He leads the he leads the group in prayer every day, and you know, so it's 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 it's, it's great to hear that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you with the disease of addiction, you never because you guys have had friends probably who've heard this thing. Oh man, he can't even the addiction for you went to, away for a year. He came up two weeks later, he was dead. Because yeah. he got home and he, he used one time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you hear that story, that breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart mm-hmm. um, that, that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned when we were talking a little while ago, just you said the devil had a big suitcase. You know, yeah. and He's got all these different ways that he tries to trip you up. And he, he tries, especially if you're you're dealing with addiction. You know, there's there's already so many other temptations out there. But even if you're not dealing with addiction, you know, you talked about starting early and having that relationship with your children and focusing on I guess protecting them in all the ways that you can what advice would you give specifically to a father as that's what this podcast is about but just to parents in general about how to build that relationship with their children to be able to have those conversations whether it's about drugs whether it's about a lustful relationship that leads to estrangement from family members, you know, whether it's about stealing, just getting in with the wrong crowd. How would you advise someone to build that relationship with their child that they can find out early when things like this are happening and then can have that rapport and have that respect to be able to discuss these things honestly with their children? I I think you hit on the last thing you said about speaking honestly with your children, uh, communication. Uh, you know, these, you know, I'm talking about, hey, son, you shouldn't use drugs or alcohol. Yeah, that's not what you just kind of say, you know, mm-hmm. unless you have to st- start saying that. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about at an early age, we would sit at the kitchen table, the dinner table, and we would talk about things. I mean, and they were things that were probably, and I guess it was because uh, I had a relationship with my parents that I, we were, it was very open about what I was doing, you know, and I wasn't doing a lot of bad things, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I thought about them, but I never, never, never to do them. Mm-hmm. I was very involved in athletics. Mm-hmm. And, and the other, that's the other thing I try to tell people that, you know, we also give things that have, that promote healthy activities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, a lot of things that go down between 3.30 and 6.30 at night. Mm-hmm. And that's when your son or daughter is home from school. 
and parents today are both working mm -hmm. and they're not home till six or six thirty. Well that three hour window yeah. is when the, the stuff goes down. And if we can encourage, uh, that's why I give to Junior Achievement, that's why I give to Boy Scouts of America, Girl Scouts of America, organizations like that, Christian, Christian groups that promote healthy activities after school. Um, it, it's a thing about staying busy and, mm -hmm. and it, doing healthy things. So uh, we always talked about staying busy, doing healthy things. Uh, we always communicated, even as hard as it might sound, uh, sometimes uh, I had, you know, we did have some conversations with my wife. Would grab my leg under the table and say, you know, just kind of be careful what you're saying here now, Steve. You know, mm -hmm. um, about about different things, and because mm -hmm. they, they, you know, the kids will tell you, kids will say strange things to you sometimes mm -hmm. that they hear. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I always tell folks to have a very, very strong uh, communication and be, take a genuine interest in what's going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and because a lot of times we don't, and especially with two parents, things like that. There's enough problems in, in, in our own relationships with our spouses, um, and sometimes we neglect our kids, and they're telling us something. You know, sometimes they're saying something to you, but they're choosing other words to really tell mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. and and that that's a lot of times how it is when you're on the phone with someone. When I was doing the suicide crisis counseling, is you know they're describing something to you. Um, and they're telling you so I had a friend who attempted suicide and just because of the training he kept saying to me Steve I'm not sure when I'm gonna see you again you know maybe I'm not sure when I'm sorry I said well, John, John wait a second what do you mean you're not sure you're gonna see me again what, what does that mean yeah. you know and and you know the people they say that people who are, are going to commit suicide they are telling you hmm. well in advance that this is what's going to happen wow. you're just not you're just not picking up on it we're not trained to, to right. understand it um, the the other thing I, I I said a lot about the communication and keeping up with your kids and understanding where they are uh, and who they're with, um, but the other is uh, always let them know you love them mm -hmm. uh, because at some point I think kids that fall into drugs and things like that they think these other horrible people love them mm -hmm. and wow. their family doesn't love them mm -hmm. and you know those other horrible people they don't really love them. Mm -hmm. They love what they're doing for them or getting to them, but mm -hmm. they they don't love them. And yeah. and I always and as weird as it sounds, I always tell people that in the recommendation, let make sure you let your son and your daughter know they love them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's a lot of it's boys. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, you don't hear about this as girls. Girls is is more of as a, as a mental health issue sometimes mm -hmm. more than a substance issue. Mm -hmm. But it does happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, last night I was watching Chris Farley. Uh, documentary on A and E, yeah. and that was one of the things that they said. Like you know, some of his old SNL cast members, they were saying that as things got kind of worse for him, you know, with his addiction, uh, you know, David Spade in particular, he yeah. said he's like, you know, he just kind of pushed people like me away because he didn't have time for me anymore. He was like, but unfortunately, he had all these other people around him that were just not good for him. He was like in all his old buddies like me, he just he wouldn't let us into his circle anymore. Yeah. And like you said, those were the those are the ones he was afraid people. those are the ones that are gonna tell him that he's really doing he really really not doing good right mm -hmm. now, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what you don't want to hear really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh And I, mean, I see my I see my friends my son's friends mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. uh, especially my first son who had that more classic addiction. Mm -hmm. Thing. and I, I see them and I some of them have done very very well 
some of my son's friends have they've changed their lives. Their death has changed their lives. Uh, I mean, one gave up heroin like that, um, and that's a very hard thing to do. Wow. Uh, yeah. After my son, and then unfortunately, hear the story about people whose friends die of drug overdose and. They were lying there next to him on the same floor. They were at the same party with him, and I woke up, and he didn't. Well, why does that happen? Um, I'm, I, I think I'm going to stop. Well, you know, I stop for two or three days until the next Saturday comes along, mm-hmm. and they're back again, which always blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, it's uh, interesting you mentioned that. I was I was just about to go into, and we, we've been planning to do some podcasts and just tell our own testimonies, yeah. but my testimony very shortly involves... Growing up in a Christian home, things were good. You know, we always heard these, you know, don't don't do drugs, don't hang around the wrong crowd, you know, all these things. And I had a good relationship with my parents. But I went to college here in South Carolina, and I kind of was I was free, and I could do whatever yeah, I wanted to yeah, do, you know. And yeah. I got into drinking and some, I guess, more recreational drugs, mm-hmm. and I kind of had the the mindset like. You know, whatever there is, I've never tried it before, so I should just, you know, see yeah. if it's fun, see if it's good. And uh, a lot of it was fun, you know, for a time. And my testimony revolves around, like, coming to that point where I, I realize, like, there's nothing more to this. There's nothing lasting to this. Mm-hmm. It's always, like, you're seeking that next high, and then when you come down, you're, oh, okay, well, I guess I just need to go and drink some more. And then I'll be I'll feel good for eight hours and then I'll feel bad the next morning and then I try again but I had a fraternity brother who actually died of an alcohol overdose mm-hmm. and yeah um, it was a very similar thing like you say you know that it, the culture and, and our friend group was kind of you know drink till you pass out and it was just you know it's all fun we're all 19 20 21 and everyone just hangs out and you drink whatever you can get your hands on and then at the end of the night you know you're you're stumbling around and you're like, I'm gonna find a place to pass out. And he passed out at a, on a couch in our fraternity house and uh, essentially he he vomited and, and suffocated. Yeah. And um, he was found, did CPR for an hour probably and, and they got there, they resuscitated him a few times in the ambulance and then he passed away and they weren't able to bring him back. And uh, that was one of those things, like you said, that you know people, we had probably 40 guys in our fraternity and several more that, that hung around and kind of lived that same lifestyle. And it was something that, you know, clearly it was like, you know, we thought we were invincible. We were like, we, you know, we can do this as much as we want. Nothing bad could happen to us. And there was this kind of dual mindset that like it shattered that innocence or that ignorance. But at the same time, it was that like, we stopped for a day or two and then it was like well you know that was just a freak thing you know just one of those weird things where we both drink the same amount and he just didn't wake up so it probably won't happen again and as far as i know most guys went back to that same lifestyle within a few days or a Mm -hmm. week and i think that's part of that is being young and not having wisdom not having that that foresight or that ability to or that willingness to sit down and reflect on things and I think part of it is our, our fallen nature where you're you're searching for that next fun thing, that next high, that like being part of that group like you mentioned. And you know, a lot of the guys that I still talk to that were in that same group have grown up and straightened up and you know, may still have a relationship with alcohol, but it's in moderation and it's they're productive individuals. But there are some other guys too, you know, who 
may not have gone that way. And you that's know, a it's tough funny. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. We've talked. I talked to. I, I, the groups I d- dislike talking to, or I shouldn't say dislike, I like at least talking to are, are uh, kids mm-hmm. and uh, teenagers, high school groups. Uh, I get frustrated sometimes with them. Uh, one, because they're always either on their iPads or, mm-hmm. you know, or they're doing something on social media while they're talking to me. Um, and I also know that they're hearing me and, and 9 out of 10 are saying, well, this, this is not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then occasionally, uh, I was at a charter school one time, and a girl came up and she was crying. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you know, that was the key. I was, again, I'm a, I'm a parent, so that bring them to the resource officer, because obviously there was a reason she was crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's, that's a good effect. But um, the thing that always bothers me, and I grew up in this environment, we were not legalistic. You know, my father, uh, there was alcohol in my house. My, both of my parents drank in very much moderation, uh, very responsibly. Um, but I knew what the drinking age was, mm-hmm. you know. And I never smoked a cigarette in my life, and I, but I knew what the smoking age was. It's like we just kind of don't know what that age is anymore. Um, you know, and, and these kids are yeah. drinking and using drugs. And, and there's nothing wrong with drinking as long as you drink in moderation and you're older than 21. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of these kids drinking starts long before that. You know? And like you say, there's no moderation. And it's, it's just it's like, okay, well, yeah. what happened about being a law? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So would you go rob a bank? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, really, I mean, I, yeah. I just said that, that's yeah. something very frustrating to me. Yeah. And that was the first thing I always tell my kids. I said, you know, you know, you know first of all, you shouldn't be drinking. Secondly, you know, you're breaking the law, actually. You mm-hmm. know, and I, I guess I could have someone come over here and arrest you. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably end up arresting me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. instead of you. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, like you say, it's a lack of respect in general, and that's a, a much deeper yeah, that's, subject that's, that's, yeah. that's going on in our, <laughs> our society today. But um, I think that's something that, you know, like you said, it can... I would imagine in a lot of circumstances it, it starts in the house that mm-hmm. there's you know you, you either have parents who don't have respect for authority or they don't have that relationship with the children for the children to respect the parents authority and understand that relationship and I think that's something that as Christians we should try to model in our home that we are the as men are the head of our household but we're under the authority of the Lord and we should go where he leads us, and we should lead our family along that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think something that you mentioned earlier is you know, about starting to build that consistency and that relationship with your children early. When you mentioned these groups that people are either are currently pregnant or they have very little children. And I think that's something that just from what I'm hearing from you and what I'm thinking about as we're talking about this, that would be a great piece of advice for new fathers or for fathers that are you know, maybe lost a child and they're trying to have a relationship with their, their children that they still have here that build that relationship with the Lord between you and the Lord and then model that to your children and show them, you know, I'm not out here doing whatever I want to do. I'm under the authority of the Lord. You're mm-hmm. under my authority. That's the way of the world, the way it should be. And when there's order, there's comfort and there's there's peace and you understand, you know, day to day what's expected of you and it's just a much and you, you become a much more productive member of society you know it's it's hard to to be a good employee when you're doing whatever you want to do and you don't care what your boss has to say and so I think there's a lot of wisdom in that to have that relationship with authority and to model it well mm-hmm. um, and uh, I wanted to ask you too you know talking about 
alcohol and things like that. You mentioned that you had some trouble dealing with that yourself. And I think to me that that resonates because, you know, like I mentioned, my relationship with alcohol was very poor in my early 20s. And when we lost our child, I remember thinking very distinctly, like, it would be so easy. Like, I want to go back to that lifestyle and to drink, to numb the pain, to mm -hmm. marijuana was my favorite thing mm -hmm. back when I was in college. You know, it just, it kind of just numbs your pain and you just, you feel good and, and relaxed. And it was, there was such a temptation there. Like, I know where I can get it and I can go get that and I'd feel good. Yeah. And would you speak a little bit to just why that's not a good way to try to handle that and and why is it destructive rather than helpful if you try to deal with your pain with alcohol or another drug well i think uh the biggest reason is the uh those those are, those are very effective drugs actually mm -hmm. for depression and uh and to calm you and maybe to escape mm -hmm. uh, but they have terrible side effects mm -hmm. obviously uh, you know i i couldn't uh, it's began to affect my ability to, to, to do my job at work. Mm. Um, you know, you could just feel yourself sliding, you know, and I remember my parents coming to visit me because they were very concerned about me. My second son had already gone back to Birmingham to go to school, and I would be in the garage, I'd be out, I would live in um, the state of Chanticleer in Greenville, and, and we, um, and I, I was, I was always sitting in the backyard, and I would be drinking in the backyard. And I always felt like I was being responsible because I wouldn't get behind the wheel of the car. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I wouldn't leave. So mom came over one day and my father came, drove over from the little town they lived in South Carolina. They had moved down here about 20 years prior from New Jersey. And um, my mom saw this big barrel, one of those, you know, those big green barrels full mm -hmm. of these big bottles of liquor. Mm. To, the, to the end, she's, and she said, Steve, what's going on here? You starting a liquor store? You, <laughs> you got a trophy collection going on here? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of hit me, you know, at that point, and I said, uh, she said, you're not drinking all this alcohol, are you? And I said, yeah, I am. Mm. And she said, wow. Uh, and uh, I, I'd gotten to the point where, you know, I think you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. And, 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 and you come to the real, realization that, you know, this was not going to be the answer. Um, and, and I think, fortunately, I was not, I was not getting the side effects the unhealthy side effects. It was more at that point. I was just like, you know, okay, Steve. Now it's time to, you know, grab hold here mm -hmm. and do what you know, do do what you know you need to do. And uh, this this is not how you solve this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is interesting how you know it's it is really easy to mm -hmm. to go in that direction. Yeah. Um, and it'll become more and more easy. Uh, unfortunately, we, we will legalize marijuana in South Carolina eventually. We'll go down mm -hmm. kicking and screaming, mm -hmm. but it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and when that happens, uh, and maybe it does have medicinal uh, uh, uses uh, or proven that it is, but there are people, um, when the button gets pushed in your head, it gets pushed, and I remember driving around with my children um, in the car, and we would, we, these are these open conversations we'd have, and I'd say, you know, guys, you're from a family, you're from a long line of drunks. My grandmother died of alcoholism, my mother was an alcoholic, her brothers were alcoholics, my, your, your mom's side of the family was all kinds of alcohol issues. I said, unfortunately, the cards are stacked against you, and you're going to like something. Yeah one day you're gonna like something and then you're gonna to have to try to figure out you know mm -hmm. um, that that's that how you're gonna to have to deal with it and 
And, and unfortunately for my younger, my older son, Christopher, who loved marijuana, just loved her. You know, I always say, Christopher would be in his heyday today because he'd be out in Colorado someplace mm -hmm. or Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. and he'd be loving life, mm -hmm. you know. But but he but but he loved marijuana and and uh, that was his that was his downfall. And you know you hear the, all these things about well marijuana is not really uh, the the problem. Well, it, it, for the right person, it's, it is a problem. It is a gatekeeper drug for the right person. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it's not. They can just put it down. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, same thing with alcohol. But but um, I think it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And I think. Uh, uh, I would tell my kids that the button's going to get pushed. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, my second son, the button and I ever got pushed. Hey, he drank some beer, yeah, he smoked some marijuana, but it was not. Someone led him to heroin. Boom. And it was like, his friends told me it was like the rocket ship mm -hmm. went off. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that just was a stunner. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Well, I was going to say just kind of we've been been going about an hour and we really appreciate your yeah. time with us but in kind of as we start to wrap this up we got to ask two questions and i want to ask you guys a question mm -hmm. okay all right you go first can i go first yes sir mm -hmm. i always contemplate i always thought i, I don't think about this often but i certainly thought about driving up here is um would i rather have had my sons alive with me for 21 to 24 years mm -hmm. than to be alive with me for 21 minutes mm -hmm. That's a. I think we've we probably and, had those and which discussions. One, and which one yeah. hurts more than the other? You know? Yeah, I uh, I think, and I'll let you speak too, Gabe. But I think for me, um, just from my experience, anytime you lose a child, you've lost something that it's hard to describe. Uh, and in a certain sense, from my perspective of, of having a child that was stillborn and never actually holding him or, or talking to him while he was alive I wish that I did get a year a month 20 years to spend with mm -hmm. him and get to know who he was get to know his personality and things like that but at the same time there's something in me that that is glad that he didn't have to experience the brokenness and the suffering in this world. He never had to scrape his knee. He never got his heart broken. You know, he never, he never failed a test. You know, mm -hmm. he never had any, just terrible experience. and never had to experience the sin in this world. And I think there's something that I hold on to that's, that's helpful about that. Um, but we also, Gabe and I, both losing children very young. We initially started this podcast. At least I know I did thinking that's what our podcast was going to be about was infant loss and stillbirth and, and very early child loss and that's what we're familiar with but we started thinking and talking and, and talking to you I kind of got to thinking obviously I don't know because my son was stillborn but whether your child is stillborn or 10 years old or 50 60 years old you still lost a part of yourself then it's something that it can't compare to the loss of a spouse, the loss of a friend, you know, a sibling. It's something that is totally unique in the, in the world of grief. And I think regardless of how old your child is, it's a, it's a hole in you that can't be filled in any way other than trusting the Lord. And that's what's and it's what I feel. It's, it's, it's got to be tr tr as traumatic as it is for you. It's got to be doubly traumatic for your spouse. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Mm. Yes, sir. I'll let you speak to that too, Gabe. Yeah, I mean, I would say we um, 
had those conversations, you know, my wife and I. Yeah. Because what we lost was the ideal that we had set up, mm -hmm. right? Of this is what their nursery is going to look like, and mm -hmm. you know, this is the stroller that we're going to pick out, and you know, all these. This is the vacations we're going to take them on. All these things that you have planned, you know, for your for your future, that didn't come to pass. And so then we would think, on the other side of that, well, aren't we blessed that? That it sounds crazy, but that we didn't know them as well as somebody that lost a kid when they were 20, 21, sure, 29, sure, whatever, yeah. and then have all those years together and all those memories together. Yeah. We lost the idea of having memories, but we didn't lose those memories, right? The memories we had with them were short, you mm -hmm. know, um, like, like the end of the day, three weeks, three months. And so um, it, it came to the point where, where we're like we don't we don't know which would be more difficult. You know, I, I think on the oftentimes I think it would be more difficult to lose an adult child, you know, or a child in their teens or their eight, nine, ten years old because of you know them so much better. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean obviously I think the loss of Reese, our first one, was awful because it was so difficult and traumatic and you just didn't expect it kind of thing. I mean, we should have because of her condition, but still being so idealistic, I was just like, She's gonna be fine, she's gonna make it. And then you know, second child, okay, she also sick, but we knew her a little bit better, you know, three weeks. And then when the last one died, you know, only three months, but we had a lot more memories with, you know, mm -hmm. Sophia than we had with, with Reese. And so I'm thinking that all having that time was, was probably harder when she was finally gone. Mm. And that was it, you know, that it was, I think that was harder even than maybe than, than Reese passing the first one. So, mm. um, I think it's just not easy, you know, either way. Um, and I like what you said, because a part of you is gone, you know, as well. And so um, I just, uh, yeah, so that's where we're at with that. <clears throat> so I, I would I would like to ask two questions. Yeah. And thank you for asking that question. Yeah. Because um, just, you know. Yeah, I think that's a think. question that's hard to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you, and hopefully no one ever experienced this, but unless you lost a child that was stillborn and you right. lost a 20-year-old, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you could ever answer that question. Right. So, go ahead, Jim. Well, I'll say, uh, first is, uh, what is the most important thing that you would like for us to hear from you or our listeners to hear about how we trust God when we deal with the loss of a child? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then secondly, after that, if you could just run through one more time, how do we connect with you, oh, your book, sure. your ministry, sure. your websites, sure. that kind of thing? Sure. Um, well, the, the first question is hard. Uh, is, <laughs> yeah. is easy in some respects and hard in others, um, because I, I I do rely a great deal on on my faith and and how how it gets me through. Um, you know, every day, every day. You know, I pray that uh, um, right now I have my father-in-law, who's a, the the pastor I was telling you about, who's ninety, who actually is living in my house in a hospital bed, and he's passing mm -hmm. away. And and obviously I pray for him. I actually pray that the Lord will take him because it's 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 it's, it's time, and and he's ready to 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 do that. And uh, I pray he meets my children when he gets up there because he never met my children. Um, um, but but um, I'll tell you what's kind of interesting about my 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 uh, and it's something that I try to talk to my wife about a little bit, but it's hard for me to kind of gather the words. Once she never had children, so she didn't. You know, though she she'd last if she 
you know, whenever we go to some kind of event, someone's going to say, well, hey, sorry about your children to her. And she used to have to explain that these weren't her, I'm not the mother of these kids. Um, uh, but now she just says thank you uh, to them. I told her, I said, much easier just to say thank you, Kathy. Yeah. And, and uh, but, but um, I don't know about you guys, but um, I, I'm so, I'm, I, I so believe that uh, the, the Lord had a plan for me and for, and for my family. Um, that that I almost a little insensitive sometimes about death and about other people's tragedies. I, I don't like, and not that I don't. Uh, I, I mourn with them and I grieve for them, but um, I, I I I have this true belief that that this 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 has to be a plan. And there has to be a plan. Uh, I can't imagine somebody wanting to take away my two kids from me in the prime of their life, front of my life. Uh, unless, unless it was, it was, it was, it was the plan to happen. Yes, sir. And and uh, and and the continuation of that plan was for me to 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 um, to, to do these things and to help others. Um, so it might not happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That's awesome. So yeah, have belief that there's that plan. I love yeah. that. And yeah. and having that faith mm-hmm. to believe yeah. that. Yeah. Would you uh, like Gabe said? You know, would you just as we close out here, run us through again the Chris and Kelly yeah. Hope Foundation. One just, more thing, I, yeah. I, you know, when I sign my book and I haven't signed this one, uh, I always put down Luke twelve forty eight, and I, I think about that a lot. And it's it's uh, and there's certain there's a couple different variations of it, but it basically means um, too much uh, to to much is uh, to those that much is given, much is expected. Wow. Yeah. And I've been given a lot. I've been given a lot, so <laughs> I want to help give back. Yeah, that's yeah, all. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in one quick thing in regards to that um, scripture. First time uh, I had a book signing, and and our, my family was friends with the Wallingtons from Christian Supply, yeah. and had been for years. So he graciously allowed me to come over there and do that back in 2012. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna put a Bible verse. Yeah. You know, my, and so I. <laughs> It was, you know, it was like my grandma and all her friends and then her friends' friends, you know, it's how that goes. It was no, it was just people that were trying to support us as sure. a family, right? They were, it came out that day. So uh, I was writing this Bible verse in and signing it. Get done with the day. Go home. I'm sitting there on the couch. Like, I remember I was getting ready to teach Sunday school the next day. And, like, all of a sudden I just went, oh, no. And my wife looked at me and she was like, why Why is your face red? You That's just got like all flushed. <laughs> got a rush wrong. I yeah. looked it up. It was supposed to be where Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. Mm. And instead, the verse I had written was, he gave them two broiled fish. <laughs> so, man, I had to run back up to Christian's Plaid, left some other books. I was like, give me those books that I... Yeah, you know, when I'm even uh, writing it out some, for someone right in front of me, I always sit, sit there and hesitate a little bit. And that's why I looked it up on my phone mm-hmm. a second ago when we first started. That's awesome. But, you know, thank you for the, the for being here. And, you know, anybody, uh, I'm always very accessible. Uh, if anybody ever wants to talk or uh, thinks they have an issue, you know, I get calls um, about, oh, I, oh, Steve, I found marijuana in my son's jeans when I was getting ready to put him in the, in the washing machine. And I'd say, you know, in, in and of itself, I, I certainly would concern myself about that. Uh, and I would certainly approach him about it or her about it and say, you know, why is this here? And I better not find it again. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and 
from now on, you know, your bags are going to stay downstairs and things like that. You know, things are going to, but I, I, to say that your son or daughter has an alcohol or a marijuana problem is probably not true. Okay. And, and I say, and so they say, well, when does that really happen, Steve? And I say, you know, you, it happens when your son or daughter's life begins to be, the decisions they make are being controlled by those things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to school on time. They're not at that baseball practice. They, they're not home when they're supposed to be. You know, things that they normally, something else is making a decision for them. And that's usually, that's the number one question I hear is how do I know? And I think that's the best thing to really observe is, are they really getting out of their, um, the, 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 the normal decisions they're making and making them differently? Mm-hmm. Um, but but you, can, uh, you can always find me on my website is uh, www.chriskellyhope.com. I'm on Facebook too. Um, and I'm on Instagram at uh, uh, Don't Forget Me Book. And um, we, we have that website. And uh, we have a great fitness park in Greenville on the Swamp Rabbit Trail to go by and visit there. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. And Will will Thank put, you. He'll, he'll put that, that, is, uh, those, that information yeah. like in the description yeah. and whatnot. So if you want yeah. To I'll, uh, when we get the podcast up, I'll post on our social media and we'll, we'll link your yeah, social media. Yeah, and my phone numbers well. are there in every place and my, my email addresses. And, um, I get back to people very quickly. Great. Well, thank you, Mr. Grant, for your well, thank time. You. And thank you for listening to us today. We, we hope that you have heard something that's helpful and encouraging and uh, that you just continue to seek the Lord through your experience with your child, and uh, whether you're going through it now or you've gone through it in the past. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lost Boys to Found Fathers. You can check out Gabe's book at thywillbedonebook.com. And remember, you don't have to be lost, but to be found in Him.